you'll see in a moment, our, our passage in Ecclesiastes is very especially addressed uh, to the young or to those who are in their youth. So you can decide whether that's you or not uh, this morning. Um, <laughs> but um, a quick um, kind of forward-looking announcement. Next, next Sunday, we enter into July, believe it or not. Um, and it's our, our habit in MCF during July and August. We, um, we do things a little bit differently. We make the service a little bit shorter uh, and the sermon a little bit shorter. Um, and it's also in the summer an opportunity to hear uh, a variety of voices, uh, maybe a little bit less from me and a little bit more uh, from other people in the fellowship. Um, and I guess a, a special announcement uh, for this summer um, some of you will know, I haven't really talked about it much from the front, but um, over the last number of weeks, uh, we've been running a little uh, training group uh, about teaching and preaching and handling uh, the Bible. Uh, we called it the School of Preaching, which sounds very um, uh, impressive. Uh, but it's been mainly a group of young adults um, who have been wanting to learn um, how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible, and how to communicate it uh, to other people. Um, and it's been genuinely just a real joy uh, to be part of. I really enjoyed doing it. Rachel Corral um, has been helping me to shape it and design the training, uh, which has been really helpful uh, as well. But I've, I've got a real buzz uh, out of doing it. And each of the participants had to prepare a little talk uh, to deliver to the group. And then we gave very gentle, encouraging feedback uh, of what they could do better and what was really good and, uh, and all the rest. Um, one quick story I should tell. Um, I had taught the group uh, a Greek word, which is kerygma, which is a word referring to the apostolic preaching and kind of bringing preaching with real authority and the presence of the king. Um, and so we had a running joke within the group where we kept, when they were preparing their talks, we kept asking, who's going to bring the charismatic thunder? Because um, the kerygma refers to kind of the thunder of the word of God. Um, and on Monday evening past, which was our last session, uh, when Wallace was in the middle of giving his talk, the thunder rolled um, everywhere. Um, so Wallace was the one who brought the charismatic thunder on, uh, on Monday. Um, but anyway, what I'm delighted to be able to say, most of that group, they haven't all said yes yet, but I've asked them if they would deliver um, a version of those talks over the summer. Um, and so we're not putting pressure on any of them. We don't want to do it, but most of them, I think, are going to be happy to do it. So it's a chance to hear from some younger voices, and I think it's really important for us as a church uh, just investing in the next generation and the, the gifts that God has given. Uh, so you'll have an opportunity over the summer uh, to listen to uh, members of that group, uh, starting next Sunday with Matt Neal, who's going to be uh, sharing with us uh, next Sunday. So... With all that said, um, let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word uh, this morning. Father, thank you for uh, what Steve uh, reminded us of a few moments ago, uh, that we are completely dependent on you um, to send your power that we, we can put the cheese on the toast, that we can lay the wood on the altar, but we are completely dependent on you to send fire from heaven. And everything that we do in church life is just a, a rearranging of the furniture unless you come in power 
and send your Holy Spirit and send your fire and send your power. And so again this morning, we want to ask as we open up your word, would you, the living, loving, powerful God, powerfully speak into our lives by your word and by your spirit in a way that will breathe new life into us and make us new. Only you can do that. And so we wait on you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you come and work in our lives in your gentle, loving power. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we've reached the end of the book. Um, and I'm going to jump right in this morning and read um, a good chunk of the chapter, one of the most beautiful uh, pieces of poetry um, in the whole book, um, in the Bible, I think. Um, so I'm going to read kind of this big poem uh, that starts off Ecclesiastes 12. And it says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of danger in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the street. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. I'm not going to say meaningless, you know by now. Hevel, Hevel, vapor, vapor, says the teacher. Everything is Hevel, everything is vapor and mist. I should have said it's a, it's a beautiful poem. It's also a little downbeat um, in tone. Um, the poetry is beautiful, um, but I wonder as I read it, um, did you understand it all? Was it clear? Um, what does it all mean? Uh, maybe as we read that poem, we might have a general sense of the meaning. It's definitely talking about things fading away. It talks about things growing dark, growing dim, growing faint and certainly we saw very clearly it speaks very clearly about death again um, but maybe some of the details as we read it are a little bit puzzling the language is um, poetic and very metaphorical um, but I want to suggest um, many of the details in this poem are speaking poetically about the human body growing old and once you start to notice this, the poem starts to make a lot of sense. Um, it's kind of it's lovely in its, in its poetry. Um, so let me show you a few examples. When the keepers of the house tremble, 
most commentators believe is speaking about our hands, which uh, are, are the keeper of our body, which do so much in our life. But as we get old, the hands can start to tremble. When the strong men stoop, is speaking of our legs, which start to become weak and bowed in old age. Let's see if you can start to guess what some of these are. Um, this is one of my favorites. When the grinders cease because they are few. What is that speaking of? It's your teeth. Um, when you've not many teeth left in your head, the grinders are few. Um, when those looking through the window grow dim, what's speaking of? Your eyesight is failing and fading. Um, what about when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades? Speaking of your, your ears, your hearing growing dim, so you're less and less aware of what's going on. You see how the poem, suddenly the phrases that just sounded vaguely poetic are actually very vivid in describing the ways in which our body starts to rebel against us. Um, maybe one more, when the almond tree blossoms. What's that speaking of? Your, your hair, someone's patting their head. Um, your hair growing white, growing gray. It's a very beautiful, poetic image of the feeling, uh, the aging of the body. And the poem is saying, this is going to happen to all of us. Um, unless Jesus comes back or death comes early to us because of sickness or accident, your, your body is going to fail and grow weak and your senses are going to fade one by one. It doesn't happen the same for everybody, but it's going to happen. And then, as the poem says, death comes. You will go to your eternal home. Your dust will return to the ground it came from. Your spirit will return to God who gave it. This is going to happen for everyone. And so, what is the one big burning encouragement of this poem in light of all that? It's a really simple phrase that comes at the beginning. Is therefore, in light of all of that, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator while you are still young, when you still have energy and strength and vitality, when you still have all your teeth and all your hair, while you still have the bounce of a grasshopper, to use an image that's in there, while you're still able to enjoy all of the gifts of life, remember your creator. And I am really aware, um, as I was preparing this, that. Obviously, this chapter is especially a word for the young. And I said, you can decide yourself whether you, uh, you're still in the days of your youth. Um, but maybe we're wondering, what do we do with these words if we are not in the days of our youth, if we are middle-aged, or if we're already well into the twilight years and the almond tree has already blossomed? Um, and we're really aware we, we can't turn back the clock and there may be, for some of us, some regret as we look back on our life. We, we may want to warn the young not to make some of the same mistakes that we made. Right? That may be part of what we reflect on as we read this chapter, as we have a conversation with our kids and our grandkids and the young people in our church. You may have some things you want to say um, about mistakes that you made. But I also really want to say at the beginning, it's never too late to take these things to heart and to remember your creator. Um, and I really, really believe if you're well into your middle age, 
God can bring renewal and revival and refreshment and renovation to your life. You learn to take these things to heart now. And even if you're well into your twilight years, God can fill your later years with light and joy, even as your body is failing. That's a really remarkable thing. Even as the body is failing, the spirit can come alive more and more. And I've seen it in people whose light burned brighter and brighter, even as the body was shaking. I know you've seen it too. Um, so whatever age you are, um, you can take these things to heart. But maybe especially this morning, a word for the young, a word for those uh, starting out in life. Um, what does it mean to remember your creator? That's, that's the one encouragement of this poem. Um, I want to suggest, in light of everything that we read in this book, um, I want to suggest, um, I think it can mean lots of things, but I want to suggest three this morning, um, three words that come to my mind as I think about what it means to remember your creator. The first one is humility. We need to realize that we are creatures and not the creator. We did not make ourselves. We cannot sustain our own lives. We cannot sustain our own existence. We are every moment, every day, dependent on God, whether we realize it or not, for life, for breath, for existence, for everything. The Bible says God holds all things together by his powerful word. So if God stopped holding things together, it would all fly apart. I would cease to exist if God didn't sustain me in existence. Um, I am a creature and not the creator. And that, that, is a, that realization is humbling. Because very often we like to think that we are in charge of our own lives. That we are the masters of our own fate and our own destiny. The captain of our own ship. And a lot of the messages in our culture will encourage that attitude. Your life is your own to make of it whatever you want. You are in charge. You are the master. You are the, uh, the king of your own existence, of your own little empire. Um, but that belief that I am in charge is an illusion and a delusion, and it leads to disaster. It always has ever since the garden when the man and woman wanted to be like God. They wanted to throw off being a creature and be the creator of their own lives. It leads to disaster because we are made to be dependent creatures. Um, to look every day, every moment to our creator for life and for light and for joy and for strength. To get up every day and say, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Um, and although we find that challenging to our pride because it's humbling, it actually leads to tremendous freedom and joy. Maybe the freedom and joy of the grasshopper, right? Um, to be a creature in God's world um, is a tremendously joyful thing. Um, I have a, a very vivid memory, um, which I, I sometimes find hard to put into words, but um, of a moment in my life when I, I felt this really deeply, uh, when I was still in my youth, uh, when the, the almond tree had not started to blossom, uh, when I was in my student year, years and I was at a student camp in Greystones in County Wicklow and I was at a, a Christian camp where I was feeling really challenged and God was speaking to me and shaking up my life in lots of ways. And I, I went and sat by the sea on the rocks um, down in Greystones. And as I was sitting by the sea, I, I felt 
in my spirit, and I could only try to put it into words later, um, the choice that was before me as a young man. Um, and beside me on the rocks, there was a little muddy puddle um, that had kind of rubbish floating in it, like crisp packets and beer tins and so on, kind of floating in the muddy puddle. And then in front of me was the ocean, was the sea, in all its kind of glory and beauty and power and majesty. And the, the choice that I felt in my spirit was, if I want to, I can be master of my own little life. Um, I can take charge of my own life, but it will be like that little puddle. That will be my little empire. <laughs> it will get smaller and smaller and grubbier and grubbier, but I'll get to say I'm in charge. It's mine, but it shrinks and it shrinks and it is full of rubbish. Or I can go and take my place as a creature in God's vast kingdom. And it's humbling because I don't get to be the king. I'm not the center. All of creation is centered on him and singing his praises. But I get to take my place as one more little creature um, praising God. And it's a humbling thing, but it's profoundly liberating. And it, in the end, it's no choice at all. Do you want to be Lord of your own grubby little puddle? Or do you want to be a joyful creature joining with all creation in God's beautiful kingdom? The first thing, if you remember your creator, um, is humility, but it's a profoundly joyful humility. Um, second thing, about if we remember our creator, um, it's a reminder that we need to worship the creator and not any created thing. And we've talked about this a lot, so I'll say this quickly. Um, what we worship is what we give our devotion to. It's what we... It's the thing to which we give the first place in our hearts, the first place in our affections. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes has warned us again and again from his own experience that if we worship any created thing, anything under the sun, and run after that as the center of our de desire and our devotion, whether it is wisdom or knowledge or pleasure or wealth or work or success, all of these things will disappoint us. We grasp after them and we get a handful of mist, a handful of vapor. We get to the top and find there's nothing there. It's like chasing after the wind. And any created thing can become an idol if we give our hearts to it. The, the Bible warns about this a lot, whether it's food or wine or sport or education or career or friendship or family or entertainment or houses or home furnishings or holidays or cars or sex, or music, or art, or business, or politics. Are these things bad? No, they're part of the world that God has made. But if you give them your devotion, then they become an idol that will break your heart and poison your life. These good things end up choking and poisoning the puddle of your life. And they lead to disappointment and disillusionment and despair and depression. And so the reminder, while you're still young, um, remember your creator. We need to give our worship only to our creator and give him the first place in our affections and give him the full allegiance of our minds and our hearts and our lives with no rival. You have no rival. You have no equal. And we bow the knee to him alone. And then 
as we've kept saying through this book, all these other things will be given to you as well. They all have their place in life under the sun, but let's make sure the worship of our hearts is only going in one direction, and that is to our creator. So to remember your creator is about humility, to remember your creator is about worship. Um, thirdly, remembering your creator is about delight, or I could have said joy or enjoyment. Um, and this has been such an important theme all through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, a big part of how we honor God as our creator is by enjoying his good gifts and delighting in his creation. We honor the creator by enjoying his creation and delighting in it. And if you glance back in your Bible to the end of chapter 11, just before we enter into um, Ecclesiastes 12, you'll see it says, be happy while you're young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. So this command to delight and to enjoyment, we honor the creator by enjoying his creation. Um, I read last week from Jaber Crow, uh, reminding us that there is a kind of religion which has a high view of God and a very low view of his works. But we can't honor God as creator while we despise his creation. If we don't enjoy his many good gifts with a glad heart, we are spitting on his good creation. We are insulting his handiwork if we don't delight in the things that God has made. Um, and I was really challenged by this this week as I reflected on it. Um, the enjoyment of God's good gifts is a command. Um, it's an unusual command, isn't it? And therefore, the refusal to enjoy God's good gifts is a sin. Um, it's not something we often maybe talk about. Um, there are always some sins we take more seriously than others. So if we, if we know somebody who's struggling with drunkenness or pornography or adultery or gambling or dishonest finances, or if we're struggling with those things ourselves, we are, we are rightly concerned and we see a need for challenge and for repentance, right? But if enjoying God's good gifts is a command, then the refusal to do so is a sin. What if we are drifting as, cause e as can easily happen to any of us at any age into becoming a grumpy and ungrateful curmudgeon, right? What if that is the drift of our life? into becoming a complainer and a whinger and a critic, quick to see everything that's wrong with the world and other people, slow to see the good gifts which God sends us every day. Right? What if that is the drift of our life, if we overflow with criticism and complaint rather than thanksgiving? If we are fundamentally grumpy um, rather than grateful? in our, our posture of life. Um, if we realize that we're drifting that way, we are in real danger. And we need a good friend to step in and rebuke us for our sin. We need a good friend to step in and challenge us to come back and repent um, and enjoy the good gifts of our creator. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way before. Um, there's a, a famous hymn that's often sung at harvest time um, and the chorus says, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. So thank the Lord, thank the Lord for all his love. And the, 
the hymn goes on to say in the final verse, we thank you then, creator, for all things bright and good. The seed time and the harvest, our life, our health, our food. Accept the gifts we offer for all your love imparts and what you most would welcome, our humble, thankful hearts. Um, the, the Christian life, this, this is fundamental to the Christian life because it's all about God pouring out grace and the appropriate response to grace is gratitude. And so if we find ourselves drifting another way, we need to hear a warning bell um, in our lives. Um, to remember our creator is about humility, it's about worship, and it's about delight in God's good gifts. And now, I want to show you how the book ends. Um, we're going to read the, the ending of the book. And I'm, I'm just going to make a couple of brief comments before we finish. Um, so let's read from verse 9. And you'll, you'll notice here, the teacher is the voice that has been speaking all through Ecclesiastes. But now we get to hear the voice of the, the anonymous author who's collected together the, the sayings of the teacher. And this is how the author finishes uh, the book. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. In other words, they're sometimes uncomfortable, but they're given for our good. Uh, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of, and this is a strange way to finish a book. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. It's the ending uh, of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and I want to home in on um, one phrase, but I, I'll comment on one quickly and then move to the other one. Um, he says, before we come to the main phrase, he says, this is the duty of all mankind. Um, literally, that phrase actually says, this is every human, which I quite like. This is every human. In other words, it's saying, this is what it means to be human. This is at the very core of our humanity, um, of every human being. Um, and what is it that is at the core of our humanity? Fear God and keep his commandments. And I want to ask you as we reach the end of the book, um, what do you think of that as a conclusion? Um, to fear God, we've talked about on the way through the book, um, implies a real sense of awe and reverence before God. To keep his commands implies not just holding on to them, but obeying them, um, living them out in our lives. So this is our basic humanity, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Um, there's, a, there's a wonderful simplicity about that conclusion um, it's also quite austere, it's quite stark and quite blunt, and I think sometimes we need that. We need a blunt word uh, to kind of um, grab our attention and bring us to what's important. 
What do you think of that as a conclusion of the book? Fear God and keep his commandments. Um, I've been wrestling with this and wondering about it and reflecting on it. Um, And I want to suggest this, and you can tell me this week if you agree with me or not. Um, This is the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, but it's not the conclusion of the story of the Bible. And I, I want to suggest that actually if we stop here at the end of Ecclesiastes, we could end up with a distorted view of God and of the Christian life. Um, I'm going to be provocative for a moment and say this. If we stop here, we may end up closer to a Muslim view of God, where God is holy and almighty and high and lifted up, and we approach him with fear and awe and reverence, but God remains kind of distant from us. And our identity is primarily as his servants. And we have a strong duty to obey his commands. Um, Our Muslim neighbors would agree with us that to fear God and obey his commands is the, the center of our humanity. And it's part of the truth. But in the Bible, it's not the end of the story. Um, There's a lot to admire about that view of God, but it's not where the story of the Bible ends. And so as I finish this series, I want to make sure I tell that bigger story. Because as the story unfolds, what do we find? We find to our amazement that God himself comes near in the person of Jesus. The one who is high and lifted up comes down to where we are, moves into the world under the sun, moves into the neighborhood, and invites us to come and eat with him. And in the center of that story of Jesus, we find Jesus saying to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. That doesn't take your breath away a little bit. Um, You're not listening. (laughs) It should. Um, And then as the story goes on, in his death, Jesus deals with the deep problem of our sin And he takes it on himself and he breaks its power. And so he removes the barrier between us and a holy God. And he invites us to enter into the most holy place with freedom and confidence. And in returning to the Father, he pours out his spirit who comes and makes his home within us. And what does the spirit do? He witnesses with our spirit that we are God's children. And he teaches us to say, Abba, Father, again, if that doesn't take your breath away, you're not hearing the story. Um, I want to suggest fear God and keep his commands is the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. I want to suggest when we say Abba, Father, we are getting close to the conclusion of the matter and of the whole story. Um, Our primary identity before God as Christian believers is not as slaves and not even just as dutiful servants of a distant holy God, but extraordinarily our identity is as friends of Jesus and children of a loving father. And of course, we still want to approach God with awe and reverence, and so the fear of the Lord still has a place, but we're also invited into a place of intimacy as beloved children. I think that's something the writer of Ecclesiastes couldn't yet dream of, the full beauty of the gospel. And of course, we still want to obey all of God's good commands and obedience is vital 
in our Christian life, but it's not an obedience that comes from fear or from duty. It's the obedience of faith and the obedience of love, the glad obedience of the children of God who have been set free to run in the way of God's commands. Um, when you and I um, sit for a moment this week in quiet, and I encourage you to do it, and we remember that Jesus says, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. Whenever the spirit within us reminds us that we are God's children and prompts us to say, Abba, Father, we've reached the very heart of the matter and the very conclusion uh, of the whole story. Um, let's bow our heads and talk to the Father as we finish. Um, let me encourage you, maybe some of you here this morning, uh, you'd really love somebody to pray with you uh, about anything going on in your life or your heart. Uh, there'll be a couple of people up at the front here who would love to pray with you uh, before you go. Don't go home without grabbing that opportunity. Um, but let's pray together and then we're going to sing. Thank you for the simplicity and power of the things that we've been reflecting on this morning. And Father, I want to pray whatever stage of life we are at, whether we are starting out full of energy, whether we're limping along a little bit in middle age, whether we're aware of our body starting to fail and the twilight coming. Father, I want to pray at whatever stage of life we are, help us to remember our creator. Father, I pray you'd help us to humble ourselves before you and remember every day that we're a dependent creature. Father, I want to pray that every day we would give the devotion of our hearts and our worship only to you and not to any created thing. Father, I want to pray you'd help us to honor you every day as our creator by enjoying the many, many good gifts that you pour out on us with gratitude, with thankful hearts. Father, I pray you would teach us what it means to fear God and keep his commands. And we need that blunt word that's spoken to us at the end of this book. But I also pray that we would keep following the whole story of the Bible um, to the heart of the good news. And thank you that our everyday life is not, in the end, the life of dutiful servitude, but the glad obedience of the children of God. Thank you for the privilege every day of speaking to you as our Father, of entering into intimacy with you. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us to live in the good of that and the beauty of that day by day. Thank you that you've called us friends and you've called us your children. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen.